Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. with you this morning. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 10, uh, and we are rounding out a series called Thriving in Babylon. And here's what we've been learning about for the, the entire five weeks of the series, is how do we as followers of Jesus Christ thrive and not just survive in this cultural moment? Because I don't know if you've realized it or not, uh, culture has shifted, and it is continuing to shift. In fact, it's changing so fast that it's almost hard to wrap your head around it some days, right? Like everything around us is changing. So the position that the church and followers of Jesus Christ had 15, 20 years ago is very different than the position we find ourselves in today. And it would be easy for us to act like victims because of that, But yet, we see the kingdom of God constantly thrive when Christianity is seemingly pushed to the margins. And so here's what we have today in 2021. We have an opportunity, right, to be the city on a hill, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. And so we've been learning in this series, how do we thrive in an ever-changing cultural moment. And before we do that, I just would love to pray. And here's, what, here's why we pray, right? I really believe there's something about asking God to help us see what he wants us to see, to hear what he, he would have us to hear, but then also have the courage to walk that thing out, right? Because it's one thing to get information, it's another thing to do something with it, right? So would you join me? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for how good you are. I thank you that you're gonna speak to us this morning because you tell us that whenever your word goes out, it never returns empty. It doesn't come back void and it's going to accomplish the purpose for which you gave it. So God, this morning as we dive into your word and we learn from Daniel, I pray that you would help us to see what you want us to see, to hear what you would have us to hear and give us the strength and courage that we need to walk this thing out, to live for you in a way that honors you and makes a difference in the world around us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Got to get some water after singing happy birthday like that, right? So uh, you guys as a church were so gracious to us. Pastor Lance approached uh, my wife and I at the end of last year and said, hey, we'd love for you to take a sabbatical next year sometime. And so we landed on the beginning of August. We took the first two and a half weeks off. I have never as an adult been off for more than five days in a row. And so having two and a half weeks off was like, what am I going to do with myself, right? So I made a commitment to myself early on. I said, whatever we do, We are not gonna be home. Because if I'm home, I love my job, I'm gonna start to work on stuff for my job because it's not like a burden for me, it's actually a lot of fun. So I said, we're just gonna go away. So we spent uh, a little over the first week of our sabbatical driving to and staying at Disney World down in Orlando, Florida. It was awesome, it was incredible. Here's what I'll tell you. If you've ever wondered what does the entrance to hell feel like, go to Orlando in August, all right? and walk around on blacktop in some spots, and you will gain an understanding that says, you know what, sin ain't that great. I don't wanna go there, right? Disney's awesome, hell maybe not so much, okay? So then we come back, and we had originally had plans where we were gonna go, we go every summer camping with another family that we're friends with, and so we've done like, I think this was the fifth year in a row, 
And we thought, we'll come back. I'll watch church online on Sunday. Sunday, we'll go camping. Well, while we're in Orlando, my friend texts me and says, uh, by the way, I got the dates wrong. We're actually going camping a week later. So all of a sudden, I have like these four or five days in my sabbatical where I'm like, what am I going to do? Because I refuse just to stay home, okay? So Katie looked at me while we were in Charlotte, driving back from Orlando. And this is how you know I think she got a little tired of me, okay? She said, what if you go camping all by yourself? I thought, cool. What if you take a long walk off a short bridge, right? Like just, we're just being honest, right? Playing in traffic might sound fun for you. Who knows? And so she tells me that now. To be fair to her, here's what I'll tell you. I have romanticized the idea for years of going camping by myself, right? Every year I go camping with my friends, and every single year I'm like scoping out campsites. Like, that would be awesome to stay here by myself. I'll read books. I'll pray. I'll hike. They've got a disc golf course. I'll play disc golf. Like, we'll do, I'll do all the fun things all by myself. And so what I thought was, I'm in Charlotte. I start signing up for this campsite because I'm like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go have fun for a few days, but I'm also going to hear from God. That's my goal. I want to go have fun. I want to hear from God. So when I sign up to go camping, the weather on the weather app, beautiful. Like, it's going to be like 80 degrees and sunny, maybe partly cloudy. It's going to be like in the low 60s at night. I'm going to sleep like a champ. Wouldn't you know it, when I start packing the car to go camping, I look at that weather app again, and it's changed very much. Uh, Sunday, it's going to be all right. It's going to be really hot, no big deal. Uh, Monday and Tuesday now, rain all day. So camping, while it's fun, sitting in a tent in the rain, not so much fun, right? And so I'm in my tent. I'm trying to make the best of it, trying to have a good attitude. I'm reading a book. I'm doing all this stuff. Well, then my tent, which is awesome, decides it's going to spring a leak. So now I'm sitting in my tent, and you just get like, it's not enough that it's like pouring on you, but it's like water torture where it just drips near you and splashes on you all the time. And I'm like, every time I'd move, I'd find a new hole in the tent, so finally, it's about like halfway through my second day there, and I am frustrated, okay? Like, I'm done, and I'm talking to my wife on the phone, and I say, babe, like, it just stopped raining. It's going to start raining again in like an hour. I think I'm just going to pack up and go. Like, I'm just, I'm done. And as soon as I got off the phone with her, I just sat there for a minute, and I started praying, and I was basically telling God why I no longer really needed to hear from him all that bad. And I had this strong impression, I'm not going to say it's an audible voice, but just this impression, and the impression was this, you could leave, but you're going to miss what I want to say to you. And so I remember sitting there for one of the short few minutes where it wasn't raining and going, well, I guess I got to stay now. And here's what I'll tell you, over the next 24, 36 hours, whatever it was, uh, it did not get more fun. It did not get better. It's not like a rainbow came out, the sun came out, and then I could do all the things I wanted to do. In fact, it just rained harder. My tent leaked more. But I feel like, if I'm being honest, in that next stretch of time, God very much put some things in front of me and churned some things up in my own heart that were necessary for me, right? Things where normally you get that thought and you don't want to wrestle with it so you can like get on your phone or turn on a show and entertain it away from yourself. I couldn't do that there. And I feel like God was speaking to me. And here's what I'll tell you. We, we serve a God who desperately wants to be connected with you. And we serve a God who understands the importance of his followers, his men and women, having a connection with him. There are few things as important in life as connecting with God on a regular basis. Here's what Jesus says about connecting with him in John 15, verse 5. 
He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. In other words, like that God dream that he's given you, if you remain in him and he remains in you, it's gonna happen. That obedience that he's called you to, if you remain in him and he remains in you, it's gonna happen, right? You're going to bear much fruit. But notice the opposite of that he finishes this sentence with. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is where I think culturally, even in Christian circles, we get it a little mixed up because we look at people who aren't following Jesus and we say, well, they've got some money, they've got the boat, their tent is way better than my tent, they seem happier than I seem, things seem to be working out for them, like they're on their third marriage and I can't get married one time, like what's going on? And we get frustrated because we think, well, they got something happening and I got nothing happening. But here's what we have to remember, is that nothing of any eternal value is experienced apart from him. Nothing of any eternal value, nothing that actually matters, that matters over the span of eternity is experienced apart from him. Can you do some pretty cool things without following Jesus? Absolutely. Can you experience some happiness without following him? For sure. But nothing that truly matters is experienced apart from him. God can even take something as painful as death and make it matter when you're connected to him. Because when you're connected to him and you sit in that room, like I've done with some of my grandparents as, they, as they've passed away, I watched them breathe their last and I know this ain't the last time I'm gonna see them, right? Nothing of any eternal value is experienced apart from him. And so in this series, we've been talking about how to thrive in Babylon, how to thrive in this cultural moment. So here's what I'll tell you. If you wanna be a person, like we talked about week one, who understands and values the control and the plan of God, you gotta stay connected to him. If you wanna be a person who lives a consecrated life, where you are separated from this world, in the world but not of the world, you are living with purpose, you gotta stay connected to God. If you wanna be a person, a man or woman of conviction, where you don't sway every time culture changes or every time bad news happens, but you are like firmly planted. You've got to stay connected to God. If you're going to be a person of courage who does the right thing when the easy thing to do would be to do the wrong thing, you've got to stay connected to him, right? We have to stay connected to God. And so here's what we're going to look at really quickly from Daniel chapter 10. We're going to learn from Daniel about the value of being connected to God about the importance, the benefit of being connected to God because Daniel is going to have a vision that's going to change everything for the remainder of his life. So here's what we see. Daniel now in Daniel chapter 10, like Pastor Lance said last week, Daniel is an older man. Uh, he's in his 80s and they're at a new point in their lives where when we are introduced to Daniel, they're, they're in the Babylonian empire. And the Babylonian empire now in Daniel chapter 10 is no longer there. The Persian Empire is now in control. They have a king named Cyrus, and Cyrus has changed everything for God's people. Because when Cyrus begins to reign, he issues a decree that says, if you're an Israelite, you can go back home, and you can rebuild the temple of your God. He encourages it, he funds it, he does whatever he can to make it happen. So while many people go back and they serve with Ezra and they start to rebuild the temple, Daniel is not one of those people which seems a little counterintuitive, right? Like you're taken away from your home, wouldn't you wanna go home the second you can? Well, we don't know exactly why Daniel stayed, but we have a couple ideas as to why it might have been the case. First thing is this, Daniel had a ton of influence in the government. And so there's a good chance that he probably did more good staying where he was than running back home. 
that it made sense for him to stay and actually be a benefit to the people that he wanted to serve because he could make a difference where he was, where if he went away, maybe he couldn't. The other idea is he's in his 80s. And traveling when you get older, not so easy, especially when you didn't have airplanes, you didn't have trains, you didn't have cars, you had to make a long, difficult trek by foot, donkey, camel, whatever you had, but that's not so enjoyable. And I understand that because while I'm only 35, there are some days I don't want to get out of my chair, okay? And I do have a chair and it makes me feel like an old man, but I will fight you for that chair if you try to take it from me, okay? It's got holes in it. I don't care. It's my chair, all right? So Daniel stays where he is, and all of a sudden now, while he's staying there, he has a vision. And so here's the background he gives us in verse 1. This won't be on the screen, but we will get to the screen here in just a second. In verse 1, Daniel lays the background for the experience he's about to write about. He says that it's the third year of the reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he was given a vision. And he says this about the vision. He says two things. Number one, he says its message was true. And it concerned a great war. So in other words, here's what he's saying. God spoke to me the truth I needed to hear, but it wasn't the truth I maybe wanted to hear. Right? God can often tell you what you need to hear and not be what you want to hear. He can tell you what's beneficial, even if it doesn't feel great. So Daniel just makes the case, hey, what you're about to read is true, but difficult all at the same time. So here's the experience Daniel has, starting in verse 2. It says, At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. So Daniel is doing what many of us would consider to be uh, a fast. So he is denying himself in the midst of his mourning in an attempt to say, okay, God, I'm going to set myself aside so that I can hear more clearly from you. I'm going to stop doing some things that are normal, like I'm not going to drink the wine, I'm not going to eat the meat, I'm not going to put all the nice smelling lotions on myself after I bathe. So not only is he struggling, but so are his roommates, okay? And so he's saying, I'm not going to do all of those things because I want to connect with you. I want to hear from you. And so here's the first thing we're going to see about having a connection with God. If you're taking notes, connecting with God always starts with denying ourselves. Connecting with God always starts with denying ourselves. In other words, Jesus tells us if we want to actually be his followers, the starting point is setting ourselves aside, setting aside our plans, our preferences, what we think is best, and saying, okay, God, no, I want what you have for me. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, and this isn't the only place in the Gospels that he says it, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, so whoever wants to follow me, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So notice, he's saying, if you want to live life becoming more like me and follow me, first you have to deny yourself. If you want to take up your cross, which is picking up the purpose that he has for your life, first you have to deny yourself. Denying ourselves, setting ourselves aside is the starting point for a connection with God. And this is so counterintuitive to us culturally because what we think is we have to build ourselves up to be worthy of a connection with God. Right, like, let's be real. The last time you had a really bad day, did you feel like praying about it? The last time you really messed up in your marriage or you got in an argument with some friends, was the first thing you wanted to do to stop and pray? 
For most people, what we do is when we're at our worst and we're sinning the most, we think, well, God doesn't want to hear from me yet. I'm going to wait until I'm a little bit better. But what God is saying is, no, I I want you to not consider yourself so much that on your best day and on your worst day, you don't start with you, but you start with me. See, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, when they come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray, the first thing he tells them to pray is our Father. Our connection with God does not start because of us. It doesn't start because of how good or how bad we are. It starts because we set ourselves aside and say, okay, God, you're first. We want to hear from you. Daniel continues here in verse four, talking about how he has a connection with God and what this vision looks like. And it says, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. So dude's tan, okay? Like he didn't say it's like super white. He said, no, it's burnished bronze. And his voice like the sound of a multitude. Now here's what I love about the Bible. We're gonna see this a couple times. The Bible, while it is written by lots of different people over lots of different years, there are like some strings of super consistency within it. And so what you see is you see this description of a man that Daniel writes looks an awful lot like a description of Jesus given by John in Revelation chapter one, verses 12 through 16. Now we're not gonna read it for the sake of time, but I'd encourage you to go back and read that because what you're gonna see is they're talking about the same man. And so we're seeing in the book of Daniel, in the Old Testament, Jesus arriving on the scene. Now notice Daniel's response to seeing Jesus in verse seven. He says, I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. In other words, nobody else could see it, but those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. This is what's so important about understanding why we need to connect with God, is because the people around us, the people in our homes, the people in our places of business, the people we go to school with, they might not see Jesus the way you see him, but they can experience him because you're around. They can experience him through you. They can experience his presence even if they don't fully understand him. These men didn't see Jesus, only Daniel did, but they felt his presence. Daniel says in verse eight, so I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left, my face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. Once again, the consistency of the Bible, when John in Revelation chapter one describes this man, his response after describing him in verse 17 is to fall face down in his presence. So here we have Daniel falling face down before God, not because he's simply terrified, but because he's overwhelmed with Jesus in the moment. Here's what we have to understand is that the presence of God is undeniable and unforgettable. The presence of God is undeniable and unforgettable. There is nothing that will mark you like being in the presence of God. The reason we worship the way we worship, the reason we encourage you to pray the way we encourage you to pray, the reason we ask you to to read the scriptures the way that we think you should read the scriptures is because we want you to engage the presence of God because when you get in the presence of God, it is undeniable and unforgettable. 
In fact, I talked to friends of mine who are no longer serving Jesus. And while there's a lot of things that they don't like about the faith, and there's a lot of things they don't like about the church, can I tell you, so many of them have incredibly vivid, fond memories of being in God's presence. Blows my mind. Like they, they state they're not even sure if they believe anymore, but they can remember this time in worship. They can remember this time in the altar. They can remember this prayer time they had by themselves one night in their bedroom. It's because the presence of God is undeniable and unforgettable. It changes us from the inside out, which tells me this, that we should prioritize his presence. As people, we should prioritize the presence of God and say, whatever we do, we're going to be super intentional, intentional about getting in God's presence. We're not gonna treat corporate worship as if it's just a normal everyday thing. We're not gonna treat reading our Bible as if, well, maybe it's good, maybe it's not. I'm kind of bored with it right now. We're going to prioritize his presence. And once again, Pastor Lance said last week, right, that in this cultural moment, we're getting to a place where we have to decide, specifically with how we spend our time and how our kids spend their time, who's gonna get first? Who's gonna get our best? Right, so my oldest son is five years old, and already this year we were signing him up for T-ball, and we wanted to go to this league that's right next to my house. The problem was, every single week, this league was going to have stuff on Wednesday nights. So at five years old, we already had to make a decision. Are we going to do this here, or are we going to drive 15 to 20 minutes twice a week so that he can do that on Tuesdays and Thursdays? So we made the decision, he's coming to church on Wednesdays. And here's what I'll tell you, when I was growing up, not a lot of stuff happened on Wednesdays. It was still kind of understood that it was like a church night. That is no longer the case. Sunday is no longer sacred for so many people in our culture. And I'm not saying that it should be for them, right? If they don't believe, they don't believe. What I'm saying is for those of us who do believe, we have to decide, are we going to capitulate to culture or are we going to prioritize his presence in our lives? We have to understand that if we want the results of God, of abiding in him and being connected to him, it has to happen more than around everybody else's schedule. We've gotta actually prioritize being in his presence, living in his presence, and letting it, letting it mark us. In fact, when you look at the early church and how it grew so incredibly, uh, we focused a lot on, hey, the Holy Spirit did this, and they had all this knowledge about God, and here's the sermons that they preached. But man, what I need to tell you is this, is that knowledge of God is great, but experience him and experiencing him and pairing that to that knowledge is even better. In fact, what John writes in 1 John chapter 1 is he's opening up his letter. He lets them know, here's what we're talking to you about. So he says this, he says, that which was from the beginning, so being Jesus, Notice, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So what John's saying is everything I'm about to tell you, here's what informs it. We've seen Jesus, we've touched Jesus, we've heard Jesus. Everything we're telling you is because we've experienced him. Friends, can I tell you, if we're gonna see a revival it's not gonna happen because we argue somebody into the kingdom of God. It's not gonna happen because we know more than they do. Because you know what we do as people? We're super stubborn. How many of you guys are married to somebody stubborn? Don't fall for the trap. Man, James Gill and Chuck, it's like you wanna sleep on the couch. I don't understand it, right? James doubled down, he wants to sleep in the garage. Got one more, you got a boat, right? Like he's like, all right, we'll just keep going. 
But we're stubborn people, right? So when, when somebody tells me that I'm wrong, I typically don't listen to what they have to say. I just dig my heels in even more, right? And so as people, the, the world is not looking for us to argue them into God's kingdom or argue them into a relationship with God. You know what does it? Is when they see the experience you have with God. They see the way your life has changed. They see the results of following him. We should be people who prioritize his presence. So now in verse 10, uh, we get where Jesus has kind of not exited the scene, but he's not there in the same way anymore. But now an angel shows up on the scene, and it says this. It says, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Now, I want you to real quick, I want you to pay attention closely to these next couple verses of scripture. Because here's what I'll tell you. If you catch what is being said, starting here in verse 12, it's going to change your prayer life. It's going to change the way you connect with God and the way you prioritize it you're not going to see it as potentially pointless anymore. So verse 12 says, then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. Here's what the angel is saying. Daniel, you remember how three weeks ago you were mourning and you started praying? The second you started praying, God sent me to you. The second you set your mind on humbling yourself, I was dispatched. The moment you started praying and you wanted to gain understanding in the midst of your mourning, God said, go. So here's what that tells me, is that no time spent connecting with God is wasted. Because for so many of us, we pray and then we're like, did he answer it? Almost like it's a light switch, right? Like it either comes on or it doesn't come on. It was either answered or it wasn't answered. Here's what Daniel's teaching us through his writing. Is that sometimes you pray and the answer isn't yes yet. And it's not no yet. Your answer is simply in transit. Your answer is coming. So guess what? That means for the three weeks that he prayed, every single one of those prayers mattered. Every single one of those moments matter. And here's how we know. In verse 13, the angel continues with this. He says, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. How many days are in three weeks? I'm glad you're good at math. 21 days, right? He says, then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now notice this. When it's talking about the prince of the Persian kingdom, it's not like God dispatched an angel and then King Cyrus was like, hey, son, go fight that one. This is talking about another spiritual being that was sent to intercept this angel from getting to Daniel. And we're told that the struggle is such that this angel is actually detained, it means he was stopped. He was slowed down until Michael comes and changes the game, right? No time spent connecting with God is wasted. And we also need to understand this, that connecting with God keeps us on the path to victory. Connecting with God keeps us on the path to victory. For three weeks he prayed and for three weeks and the answer was on the way. 
For three weeks he prayed, and there were things happening spiritually that he couldn't see, he couldn't possibly understand, wouldn't believe it maybe unless the angel himself told him. See, we talked about in the very beginning of this series how in the beginning God created and in the end God wins. How Jesus says he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And if God wins, we don't have to fight to win. Our job isn't to win the fight. Our job is to stay faithful and trust him throughout the fight. To say, if you're the Alpha and the Omega, I'm just gonna hold on. If you're the beginning and the end, I'm just gonna stick with you. If you're the first and the last, I'm just gonna keep trusting you. Connecting with God keeps us connected with him relationally in a way that gives us strength, gives us boldness, helps us to understand our part in this bigger story that we're a part of to say, okay, God, I'm just going to continue to hang on, which is why Paul writes in Romans 12, 12, that we should not just be patient in tribulation, but also be constant in prayer. Because no time spent connecting with God is wasted, and connecting with him keeps us on the path to victory. So this angel speaks to Daniel, and he tells him, I have, a, I have words for you that are for a future time. And he starts to share this message with him that was true and concerned a great war. And Daniel, upon hearing this, is overwhelmed. Like, says he's having trouble breathing, that his strength is gone. He doesn't know if he can even handle this. In fact, he even looks at the angel and says, how can I speak to you, my Lord? My strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. Like, Daniel is close to tapping out. And then it says in verse 18, again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. I think for so many of us, what we want is we want God to connect all of the dots for us and tell us exactly how everything is going to work out. And yet oftentimes what God comes, us, comes to us with is not a plan, but it's simply his words. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When you get an answer you don't like, or you get disappointed, or you have a dream that comes true only to be snatched away from you, or maybe your marriage isn't where you hoped it would be, or your kids are making decisions you wish they wouldn't make, what we want is God tell me exactly how to fix it, and in the moment, what God says to us is what he says to Daniel, peace, be strong now, be strong. See, here's what God does when we connect with him, is God speaks peace to our problems. God speaks peace to our problems. God gives us a, a perspective that only he can give. He gives us a hope that only he can give. When we're at our lowest, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He's gonna be there to help you. And what so many of us do is we let life beat us up. Like we're taking hit after hit after hit after hit. And what we do is we allow the enemy in that moment to tell us things like, well, if God cared, he wouldn't let you deal with that. Well, if God really loved you, he wouldn't let it happen that way. If God is who he says he is, then you wouldn't be dealing with this. 
But what Jesus tells us is in this life, you will face trouble of various kinds. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. Jesus doesn't deny the fact that you and I are gonna have problems. He doesn't dance around the fact that we're gonna face pressure or that things aren't gonna go well. He just says, regardless of how bad it is, understand this, I've beat it. I've overcome it. God speaks peace to our problems, gives us a perspective that only he can give. So in 1956, uh, there were five young missionaries. If you've ever uh, heard the story or watched the movie, Into the Spear, this will be familiar to you. But in 1956, five young missionaries in Ecuador, they're trying to reach the Aka tribe. And the Aka tribe was incredibly violent. They had never been reached with the gospel before. Uh, in fact, later on, they would do studies of this tribe and they would go to show that they were some of the most violent people in the entire world. That if you looked at the mortality rate due to murder in their tribe, it was sky high. Puts any of our cities to shame, right? Like people died at an incredible rate. So these five young missionaries, they get on a plane, they go, and they're in this river, and they're beginning to converse, try to make some inroads with the Aka tribe, and the Aka tribe ends up murdering all five of them. In fact, one of them, he would be murdered right there in the river where a man named Minkai would take a spear and drive it through him. And so that night, there's a five-year-old boy named Steve Saint who has to hear from his mom how dad's not coming home. That dad's with Jesus and that's what we want and that's what we pray for and we should be so happy for your dad. And Steve Satan said for years, he struggled with the question, why would God allow this to happen? Right, question I think all of us have probably asked at some point. And he said he wrestled with that question for decades. And then one day, he said, it's just like it came to me. He had this realization. He said, God didn't allow my dad to die. Check this. He said, God planned for my dad to die. Like it didn't just happen. It was God's plan that it would happen. Because what he got to see later was that his dad's death and the death of these other four missionaries opened the door for this tribe to actually hear about Jesus, for many of them to get saved and to begin to follow Jesus. Not all of them, but many of them. One of the men who got saved was Menkai, the man who murdered his dad. And Steve Saint would be the one to baptize Menkai in the same river that Minkai had murdered his dad. I hear that, and if I'm being honest, I go, how does that happen? Well, it happens because we serve a God who speaks peace to our problems. It happens because when we're connected with God, he can give us a perspective we could never have on our own. We shouldn't just want to connect with God. We need to understand that we need to be connected with God. So this morning, here's what I really believe God wants to say to you. In the midst of your problems, in the midst of your pressure, and maybe even in the frustration with how things are going, how things are changing, he just wants to say the same words that he said to Daniel. Peace, be strong now, be strong. Even if it doesn't make sense, God's plan is going to prevail. We don't have to make it happen. 
We just have to hold on while God does it. Right where you are, would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me? Here's what I know. I know today, some of you, whether you're in person or online, like you're, you're hearing this and you do not have a relationship with Jesus. You are not connected to him, but you know deep down inside that needs to change. You want a perspective that only he can give. You want a peace that only he can bring. It starts by getting connected and saying, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, in charge of my life. I wanna trust you more than I trust myself. If that's you this morning, online, you can respond. There'll be a moment that pops up here in person. I'm gonna ask you, would you just raise your hand for just a moment? It's awesome. And then you can put it right back down. That's great. For others of you, I know this whole series, we started with words that start with C. The greatest enemy to you, con to, to you connecting with God is honestly probably your comfort. And maybe you've just gotten comfortable in a relationship with God. Like you know what to expect. You know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And if you're being real, like your connection with him, kind of hit or miss. Can I just remind you that no time spent connecting with God is wasted, whether it takes 21 days or 21 years for you to get God's answer, it's gonna matter. So I encourage you, go after him with some intentionality. Trust him more than you trust yourself. Jesus, we thank you that you're speaking to us. We thank you that, God, you are revealing yourself through your word. God, I pray for every single one of us that you would help us to trust you, that you would help us to rest in you and to say, God, you are the one worth following. God, help us to be people who are so engaged in your presence and so connected to you that it doesn't just make a difference in our lives, but it makes a difference in the lives of the people that we love, the people that we work with, the people in our homes. God, help us to put you first and to prioritize your presence in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.